The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Wednesday. I know we're running a tiny bit late on release today. A lot of stuff going on here in Southern California, fires and what have you, and and it's really thrown a wrench into the uh, normal schedule today, but we're getting it out to you. I am Dan Vesperis, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a hoop ball, hoop-ball.com and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company presentation. H-I Kona Coffee on Twitter, HawaiianIsles.com is the website. Go to hoop-ball.com immediately. Check out the premium product, Game Time Premium, and get yourself access to all of our live Q&As and use a coupon code. Why don't you try the coupon code DOC, D-O-C. See if that knocks a few bucks off. Just see. See if it works. See if it works. Uh, what do we got coming up on today's program? I have some deep thoughts about injuries. We'll get into those as we kind of move through the card a little bit. We'll review the short Tuesday, uh, get into the big Wednesday stuff and assign some homework, talk some betting things. I have some I have some Lakers thoughts as well that I got to get into the middle of this show in addition to the other stuff. And of course, the recruiting pitch continues here. I want to do it at the front end of the program today. Uh, bug me at Dan Vesperist. Again, you can just search for Dan from Hoopball on Google if you're looking for it, trying to figure out how to spell my last name. If you want to get involved here on the journalistic side, send me a note. Do it now. Uh, and definitely check out that Game Time Premium. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. That's, uh, that's how we're starting the podcast today. Was a relatively uneventful Tuesday. Relatively. I don't know that I actually had anybody that I thought about picking up or dropping overnight. That doesn't happen very often. That will not be the case tonight on a big Wednesday. <laughs> not, not with the itchy trigger fingers we got uh, going on over here. But before we even get into the very short Tuesday edition, uh, I, did, I did want to take a second to remind you guys of our ongoing partnership with the good folks at Manscaped.com. A fantastic company that just got into works with us here at Fantasy NBA Today. They are, they are a good group. And I know that that's such a weird thing. I know I talk about that with, with my bookie as well. Just the fact that I really like particular companies. We try to be selective with who we work with here at Fantasy NBA Today. We want to like what they're doing. And Manscaped, in addition to being you know a quality company, they make a product that hadn't really filled the market yet, which is male specialty grooming products. They also work, as I mentioned uh, on the last two podcasts, with the Testicular Cancer Society, supporting folks with testicular cancer uh the fighters that is those that have had it the survivors the caregivers as well so they're doing good things uh in addition to just selling a nice product so check it out they've got this really uh pretty neat tool called the plow they've got the lawnmower 2.0 they lean into the funny a little bit and that's great i mean that that sells product but they're also just good folks over there uh and in terms of reasons to check it out number one We've got a promo code. The promo code is HOOPBALL. That HOOPBALL promo code will get you 20% off your order at manscaped.com and free shipping. Go to Manscaped. Again, that's with a D at the end. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Use the promo code HOOPBALL. Get 20% off and free shipping. 
Check out the stuff they've got. The battery life is now 60 minutes on one charge. I don't know why you'd ever need to do that in one one sitting. I hope you don't. That means it had been way too long since your last grooming. But it does mean that you don't need to charge it every stinking time. So that's great. It's also waterproof, the new Lawnmower 2.0. So check that out. If you wanted to use it, say, you know, shower, stuff like that, that adds new elements to it. It's just great products from a great company. So check them out, manscaped.com. Again, manscaped.com. Hoopball's a promo code, 20% off, and free shipping on your order. Tuesday was a short one, which makes our lives a little bit easy because the rest of this podcast is going to largely be about the homework assignments for the much bigger Wednesday card. But there was, unfortunately, some injury information from Tuesday night, and that was Trey Young, who... You know, you never know when these things are coming, but after he looked so completely exhausted and then coming out in this back-to-back, you knew it was going to wipe him out, and then he turned an ankle. And we're lucky because the initial report is a couple of weeks. When it happened, it looked like not a couple, but a few or more weeks, meaning like three to six or maybe even months. And now it sounds like they're thinking two weeks, which is really not bad at all. You can weather that storm I'm assuming that because we've got a timeline quickly that you'll see the big box sites, they'll actually go and and put him with an injured tag and you can kind of get him on your IL if you have one. If not, you obviously you just weather it because it's just not that many games. You can survive it. It sucks. It's It's a pain in the butt, but it's early in the season. Little things happen. Your opponent will probably have an injury somewhere along the way, so you just kind of grin and bear it. And then the question became... Who's going to do something with no Trey Young? Well, the answer was still only John Collins. This team, Atlanta, I, I don't know if it was the offseason moves, but last year they seemed to have more guys that were willing to get involved. No Torian Prince, so that takes a wing score out of the mix. Kevin Herter doesn't look right yet, and so maybe that changes in the not-too-distant future, but it's not right yet. Uh, DeAndre Bembry and DeAndre Hunter are two DeAndres that we're keeping an eye on, but they were both terrible in this ballgame. It was legitimately John Collins and nobody. That was a one-man operation. So, not surprisingly, they got their butts kicked. Uh, Jimmy Butler made his return and went 10 for 15 at the free throw line. A super weird mark for one of the best free throw impact guys in the NBA. The fact is, he got to the line a ton of times. There were so many fouls in this game. It was really upsetting. Uh, In most instances, he'd probably make 12 or 13 out of those 15, and and that would be an even better line. But I'll tell you what, first game back, 21-5-2, three steals and a three-pointer. You know, if he makes a couple more free throws, then it's a real nice night. Goran Dragic looks good again. He's actually looked pretty good so far this year. Has his issues at the free throw line for whatever reason. Uh, Tyler Harrow had 29 exploded off the bench in this ballgame. Bam Adebayo, 17-10-3, two steals, three blocks, made his free throws for one of the best lines of the night. Uh, and then Kendrick Nunn, who was, he and Tyler Harrow were the two guys we were kind of worried about with Butler coming back. He had 17 points, but really little else. Three three-pointers and a steal. That was basically it. I don't know that you kick either Nunn or Harrow off your team yet. If you were looking for reasons to drop guys... It seems like the odd man out on this team is actually Kelly Olynyk. oddly enough. Justice Winslow took a massive hit. No longer the primary ball handler in the first unit. 
not the primary ball handler in the second unit. That's Dragic. So he lost his role. Joe Justice Winslow's in real trouble. I didn't like his fantasy game anyway. He's very popcorny. He's sort of Julius Randle-like in that regard, where his percentages are not good. Um, and so, I, you know, I wasn't big into him anyway. And now I'm really not big into him. I think you have to hold on to Harrow and Nunn and see how this goes for another couple of ball games. They're not going to play the Atlanta terrible defense every night. Um, but Jimmy Butler looks locked and loaded. Good to have our, you know, top 15 guy back in the lineup. Dallas beat Denver. That was the one that I was thinking about betting, and I wimped out Denver flying back into altitude off a tough one in Sacramento. Uh, Dallas was rested, and they were able to use that extra little bit of rest. They outshot the Nuggets. They were able to get better looks. Couldn't make any damn free throws to save their lives. Luka Doncic, Jalen Brunson were the large offenders at the free throw line. Dwight Powell made his return and played 14 minutes. I tweeted at you guys, and I'm hoping that people listened, don't play a guy coming back from a hamstring injury in his first game back. Some of you probably did. I hope most of you listened because you knew they were going to work him up. I thought he'd maybe see closer to 20, so this was lower than expected, but this is not the norm. This is why we pay attention to the news and track everything like Hawks because we know that this was a, a, the repercussions of a hamstring injury. They're easing him back into it. He has a great role ready for him when the time is right. Maxi Kleba played a better ball game too, so it kind of fended him off a little bit, but it doesn't matter. Dwight Powell is the guy. He started in his first game back. He's going to continue to start. We are lucky to have him. You just have to wait a week before you get him into your lineup. That's not that much to ask. You waited one week. Now you just have to wait one more for him to actually get fully up to speed and healthy. So I'm excited about it. He's a guy that's a definite pickup if he's on your waiver wire. I have him in a bunch of spots and have just been waiting on this hamstring injury. Uh, he's owned in only 53% of leagues, which I think is interesting, because he's the starting center on a decent ball club and one that's going to play with some pretty good pace. So I can dig it. I don't know if you can dig it. Seth Curry had a decent ball game. Porzingis slowed down. Nuggets have been doing that to some big men these days. Uh They've been doing it to a lot of people, but to Dallas's credit, they had nine players in double figures in this game, so not any one of them had a particularly strong contest. Even Tim Hardaway Jr. had a claim to small amounts of success. Uh, Nikola Jokic triple-doubled. This is like the slot machine style. 10-10-10 with three steals. Ultra-low usage game for Jokic, which was weird. Paul Millsap had one of his good games, which meant Jeremy Grant was garbage. Uh, Gary Harris had a better ball game again, so he, you know, he's seemingly winning his position battle. Will Barton played better, so they didn't go to the backups in this one. This is one of those games where the reserves didn't play very well, so you got more out of the starters. And that's going to happen from time to time. But it makes this team super upsetting to deal with, because on any given night, the starters could just play 20 minutes to the reserves 28. They are obviously the safer bets, the starting five. But they are by no means the safe bet, if that makes sense. The, dif <laughs> the difference between safer and safe in this particular case. Uh, I get it if you want to trot those guys out. But for me, in a lot of situations where I'm dealing with games caps, I don't feel that comfortable utilizing one of my games caps when I have no idea if the guy's going to play 25 or more minutes. It's incredibly frustrating. 
And actually, I want to take just uh, another second to sort of dial back to the Dwight Powell stuff over on the Dallas side. I know we're, we're venturing off course here for just a brief moment, and it doesn't have anything to do with the individual box score in question. But I do think that this is a point worth emphasizing as more of a uh, general theme, and that is guys coming back from injury. What is the timeline on that? And then what is the expectation or the expectations that we set as fantasy owners in this sphere? Dwight Powell is just one example of many in this of this discussion. Eric Bledsoe is actually another one that pops into my head as a guy that deserves a little. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, oddly enough, is another example of this. So uh, where Valanciunas obviously has had more success than the other guys is that he's been able to sort of step in and play relatively well quickly. He hasn't done as much as he probably would if he was at full strength. But these are guys, Powell, Bledsoe, Valanchunas, and at different tempos, actually, between the three of them, that are all working their way back from injuries. What we probably should have done and didn't, because there just wasn't a ton of reporting on it, was probably bench Eric Bledsoe, at least in his first game, right? That's the first game he played in a long time after breaking rib cartilage. And sure enough, in that game against Houston, he only played 16 minutes. We didn't hear about an official minutes cap in that ball game, but I would guess that there probably was one, kind of looking back at it. Valanchunas, we knew there was a minutes cap, and still I trotted him out because it was their opening night and I got caught up in the hullabaloo. These are just examples of guys that I can find very quickly on my own teams, so that makes it easier for me to kind of pick their names out of a lineup. But I'm sure that there are more examples across the NBA, and, you know, should I stop this thing and, and find a few of them, uh, we, we'd figure it out very quickly there as well. The point of this isn't necessarily to find the guys that are coming off of injury. Listen, Paul George is a name that'll pop up down the line with this same issue uh Blake Griffin actually is gonna be popping up with this issue in the not too distant future way down the line you've got Marvin Bagley you've got Zion Williamson guys like that Kyle Kuzma probably very soon will fall into this bucket all right I'm glad I did that a quick scan of injured guys across the league provided us with a few more interesting names for this discussion the discussion point is what is how do we stagger this from a time perspective Number one, we have almost unlimited resources when it comes to figuring out when a guy is going to play or not play. That's the binary part of it. Zero or one, black or white. Is a guy playing or is he not playing? But then there are all these gray areas in between. How much is a guy playing? How much conditioning? did this guy have when he was out? How long was he out? All of these factors, I would throw in, is he on a new team, if that happens to creep in, not not as often. All of these factors roll into a weird ball of analysis that leads us to basically a, how fast do we get this guy back into our lineup? With Dwight Powell, it was pretty obvious. This one was an easy one. He missed the preseason, most of the preseason, with a hamstring injury, which those things are very finicky, so you knew coming back, he wasn't going to get his full allotment of minutes. What we heard was nothing 
on the minutes limit front. We heard he was starting, but we've been doing this long enough that you know a guy coming back from a hamstring thing where he's been out for a few weeks, even if he's starting, there's going to be a cap on him. It's going to be something. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be something. So we were wise enough to know in advance, and I sent out a tweet about it, don't get this guy back into your lineup immediately. There are situations where a guy might miss only, I don't know, a week of games, and it's something uh, fairly manageable like, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe a, a slightly turned ankle or something like that. Guys seem to come back from that and they do okay. Or uh, maybe an injury, a, a mild injury to a non-shooting hand. They might not even miss any games for something like that. You get the idea. There are injuries that guys can come back from quickly, and there are injuries that make us a little bit more nervous. So that also goes into the analysis ball. Uh, what about a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who basically missed the preseason with the rib cartilage deal? Should I have trotted him out on opening night? We didn't hear anything, so I can't really kill us for doing it. But it does seem like, looking back, hindsight being 2020, a guy that hasn't played in a while was coming off of an injury to his core, which is obviously a very finicky area and one that we need to be sort of cognizant of even now, a few games back into his season. We probably should have benched him for a game just to see how that went. At least with Valanchunas, they came out and said he was going to have a minutes limit. They didn't tell us what it was, so I still trotted him out there hoping it was going to be 20. Well, it was 16, and it wasn't enough. Well, that was a pisser. A guy coming back from injury, and it's not a one-to-one thing either, so I don't want to spend this podcast saying, well, you know, if a guy's been out for X number of weeks, then this is how long you bench him coming back. It's all it, Everything is a sort of unique case-by-case basis. But it is very important to me that if you're not in an unlimited games format, weekly lineups basically is this, it falls under games cap lineups, this falls under. If you're in an unlimited deal, obviously you just start everybody all the time and you don't have to think about this type of strategy. Uh, but if you do, if you do have to worry about that strategy, then you have to buy yourself some time with weekly lineups. It's a little bit easier because once you've made your decision, you're sort of locked into it. You know, like with Dwight Powell here coming back at the beginning of the week, this is one where I'd say, well, you just bench him. They got a, what, three games this week. Mavs, I think have three games. Fine. You know, if he was good by the third game, we whiffed on two not good ones. You can find somebody else with three or four games that would get more minutes than that. If you're in a games cap format where every single time a guy plays, you have to consider whether or not to put him in your lineup, that to me is probably the most, it requires the most analysis with guys coming back from injury. All of this to say, when a guy's coming back from something, don't immediately throw him into your lineup. Case by case. How many games do we think it's going to take with Dwight Powell? Um, I really don't know. We know it's going to be more than one, and it's probably going to be less than 10. I wouldn't put him in my next one. What did he play? 14, 15 minutes? What did we just say a minute ago? We basically need to see him, and this is the case with a lot of guys, but again, it is dependent. It was 14 minutes. It is dependent on what their fantasy stat set is like. So we'll translate like, you know, you you do your per 36s. If a guy has a stunningly high per 36, 
I would say as soon as they clear the 20-minute mark in their next game, you could probably get him into the lineup. A guy like Dwight Powell, who does probably need to be out there a little bit longer to hit his marks because he's more of an efficiency guy, points, rebounds, threes, some steals, that type of stuff, not a heavy ball handler. You probably want to wait until he's played something like 24 minutes, and then in the next one, where you assume he's going to get 25 or 26, that's where you probably get him into your lineup. So you make these decisions individually on the player based on what their per 36s are, what they look like coming back from injury, and you almost never put them in on that first game back. Now we can sort of build our strategy going forward as we loop it back into Dwight Powell here to, to sort of finish the discussion we're having right now. The other guys that I just mentioned, they're obviously all their own different case studies as well, but let's uh, let's take Kyle Kuzma, for instance. You weren't going to put him in there his first game back, right? Off a stress reaction? Please don't. I have no idea how long it's going to take him to get back to normal speed overall. It could be weeks. I hope it isn't, but it could be weeks, and he's probably going to be overvalued in your league anyway because he's a heavy on the scoring kind of guy. DeJounte Murray, he could have a minutes limit for many weeks, but he's shown he's got the per 36s to sort of hold value in his 22 to 24 minutes a game. Jonas Valanciunas, now that he's playing 23 minutes a game, he's an obvious start, but on opening day, we probably should have waited. After that 16 minutes, you say, all right, I'm going to wait one more. And sure, we would have missed his second game, which was 10 and 13, but it was a pretty empty 10 and 13. So it really wouldn't have been that much of a miss. And at that point, you're saying, okay, he had 16 minutes in game one. He had 18 minutes in game two. He's probably going to hit around 20 minutes in game three. This is where I would normally get him into my lineup because we knew with the Raptors in 20 minutes a game, he was basically around a top 80 guy. And then you could just drop him in there going forward. What do we do? What should we have done with Eric Bledsoe? We probably should have waited the one game, seemed 16 minutes, and then we would have known to probably wait for game two, but he played 33 minutes in game two. So yeah, I guess we would have missed an okay performance, but you also wouldn't have risked it. That could have easily been a 21-minute game for him. It's better to play it on the safe side with this. Let's plan for the future. Blake Griffin, he is expected to travel with the Pistons on their road trip that starts today, but is not playing in today's ballgame. So he could play as soon as Friday. Are we dropping him in there on Friday? No chance. I think he could still have a pretty good game, actually, on Friday, because he's Blake Griffin. He does a lot of stuff when he's on the court. But I'm not playing him his first game back. What if they only give him 20 minutes? What if they don't tell us the minutes cap? It's too big of a risk. You sit him the first game back. Paul George, you absolutely sit him his first game back. Yes, there is a risk that you're going to miss out on some crazy flash-in-the-pan, adrenaline first game back kind of thing, but you have to know that there will be minute issues with these guys, and if they don't have a big one, it could be a really bad one. Now, here's the opposite side. Drew Holiday expects to play tomorrow against the Nuggets. He only missed two games. I know he wasn't playing well, but only two games, second round guy, you probably keep him in your lineup because there wasn't a long layoff. And the final game on the uh, Tuesday evening docket turned out to be a very interesting one for one particular player, and that player was Anthony freaking Davis. Good Lord. 
40 points, 20 rebounds, two blocks in three quarters. He did it. He played the end of the third, and then they didn't have to bring him back into the ballgame. 26 out of 27 at the free throw line. You're going to see some teams in your Roto League that moved up in the standings from one Anthony Davis game, and this is why you spent your first pick on him. Because he's a monster. He's now number four all of a sudden, while still shooting only 43%. That gets up anywhere near where he has been in the past. Well, you guys have the idea already. You know where that's going. Uh, Lakers didn't need anyone else. LeBron James had a relatively poor game by his standards with six turnovers, but again, he wasn't really needed. 23-8 and eight is fine. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope finally had showed a pulse in this game. Not enough for you to do anything with it. Um, Alex Caruso just playing good defense as per usual. Lakers only hit seven three-pointers in this one, which was kind of interesting. Now, they count on some of these guys to hit outside shots. Danny Green hit two. He's a guy they need to hit him. Troy Daniels, just two for seven. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball all that well. Lakers' defense has been awfully impressive in the early going this year. I want to loop back around to the Lakers side, quickly touch on the Grizzlies. Uh, I mentioned, I was talking about Jonas Valanciunas during our, you know, how to bring guys back from injury discussion earlier in the podcast. He's at that level now where you can start him with confidence. He's also at a level where uh, basically his team is awful when he's not on the floor. So if you were worried at all about him getting an okay number of minutes this year, so far... You don't have to be because they play winning or at least competitive basketball when he's out there. And when he's not, they're getting smoked. Not that he's like the king of plus minus or anything, and and certainly not that that's the indicator of what a team can handle. Uh, But JV started the game and the Grizzlies actually got off to a good start. He started the third quarter and they actually got off to a good start there. Basically, when he came out of the ball game, The wheels completely fell off. Lakers made a run at the end of the first quarter. uh, And then, obviously, the huge run in the third quarter where this game went from, I think, a one-point Lakers deficit. Was it a 22 to nothing run to finish the quarter? Am I getting that right? What does it all tell us is that there actually are going to be some teams that struggle when they play the Lakers this year. The Lakers signed an array of guys that give a crap about their defense, Anthony Davis is obviously just innately good at it, and so now LeBron kind of has to try a little bit. He can't be the only guy not going full bore at that stuff. Uh, So, you know, Avery Bradley cares about his defense. He actually looks okay so far. I know that uh, he's not good, but he's he's locking down on uh, the one-on-one stuff. You know, JaVale McGee is a guy that can protect the rim a little bit, and Danny Green is a brilliant defender. I love Alex Russo on that end. Lakers are turning their opponents into bad fantasy games. Jonas Valanciunas was kind of the only guy that slipped through for the Grizz in this one. John Morant uh, kind of came close to being okay, but everybody else was bad. Dylan Brooks had only eight points. Brandon Clark had 10 with a steal and a block. Uh, Jay Crowder played 27 minutes again. He's seeing big minutes. I just don't like his fantasy game. You can talk to me till you're blue in the face, but I'm not going to buy on Jay Crowder. Jaron Jackson Jr. is uh, in trouble. I, I, there are a lot of guys where I'm. I would issue the just wait note, and you're obviously not doing anything with him. If you got him, you probably spent a pick in the 35 to 45 range on him. 
Uh, and in general, he's playing okay. You know, he has five blocks in four games. He has three steals. He's averaging 15 and six and a half. Uh, but he's sitting outside the top 100 so far. And here's what makes me nervous. A couple of things. Number one, he's going to be mostly playing power forward, especially as Valanchunas continues to get healthier and healthier. I think, I think there was a thought that he might play some more center. I, I really don't think that's happening. It seems like Brandon Clark is going to be soaking up a lot of the backup center minutes on this team. So that pushes him a little bit away from the bucket. Yes, his 42.5% field goal is going to come up. That'll move him up in the rankings a little bit as well. What I don't know whether or not it's going to come up or stay the same, and you sort of have to make your calls on it, is his fouling issues are really real. They are really, truly real. Jerry Jackson Jr. had five, three, six, and five fouls in the four games so far. So one game he didn't get himself in foul trouble. It was against the hapless Chicago Bulls. And, of course, he had a big ball game, 23-11-2 with a steal and a block. The other ones, the five-foul game was okay but not great. The six-foul game was not good. That was against Brooklyn. And the five-foul game against the Lakers was not good. And then, of course, he didn't get back in late because it was a blowout. He only played 18 minutes last night. This is two things with Jaron Jackson Jr. And this is why I'm issuing more of the uh, we do need to be a little bit cautious on him note as opposed to someone like Bledsoe where I'm whole hog in the buy low department. I have zero fear with Eric Bledsoe and I have some fear with Jaron Jackson Jr. Number one, we basically said that he was getting overdrafted because he hadn't done it before. There's always this expectations of a massive second-year leap, but you also need to, I think, play more your first year. He didn't finish out the season. He never had that, like, down-the-stretch aha moment that a guy like Trey Young had where when people are arguing, hey, he's ready to turn a corner, you could say, look, he kind of already started to do it. Now, I, I think he's going to peter out, and obviously we talked about Trey. Oh, by the way, uh, recorded part of this podcast before the morning news came out, that he's day-to-day. He's not even week-to-week, so we actually dodged a massive bullet on that front. Um, apologies for the note earlier in the podcast that when it, when it was expected to be, I think, one or two weeks, uh, it sounds like it might even be less than that. So congratulations. Obviously, you just sit on that one. Um, he was an example last year of a guy that played horribly for four months and then really started to figure it out, and he was a top-40 guy down the stretch. And so when you were like, well, you know, if people are drafting him in the top 20, I still think it's way too soon but at least he was hovering near 40 in 9-cat at the end of last year. With Jaron Jackson, he was number 89 last year, and he never really showed that aha of figuring out how to stay on the floor and block shots. It was kind of one or the other for him last season. He got off to that really nice start where he was blocking shots. All the other power forwards were gone. He was fouling out, but he was getting two or three blocks a game on the way. And then they said, look, Jaron, we need you to actually be on the court for more than 25 minutes without fouling out of a game. So he tried to dial it back. He tried to play position defense. He was still picking up fouls, not as quickly, but he also wasn't blocking anybody. Jaron Jackson Jr. has gone through all the evolutionary stages of Serge Ibaka in like a year and two months. It's pretty, it's actually kind of remarkable. Listen, I am not picking on this guy. I love his game. I think he will be, at some point, a really good fantasy asset, and it might even be later this season. But he's not there yet. And so this is why I'm issuing a little bit of a warning. He is, by all accounts, a buy-low candidate right now. 
because I don't think he's going to get much worse than where he's sitting at the moment. He is also probably not going to get up to his 34 ADP, which makes the people that drafted him extremely hesitant to part with him because of what a high pick they offered. It's actually kind of remarkable. If you drafted somebody in the first three rounds, it almost doesn't matter what happens the first week of the season. You're not going to be able to sell that guy. for, Or you're not going to be willing to sell that guy. Because you're just like, I can't do it. I spent too much on this dude. I'm not going to take the hit. And frankly, that's wise of that person. And for you guys that don't have him, like me, actually, uh, if, if you're like me in this regard, you're probably not willing to offer enough to get him based on what you know the person that drafted him is asking for. There is going to be... I'm going to file Jaron Jackson Jr. under the guys that I would call the official disconnect players of the first month, which is he's probably not going to be as high as he drafted. He's not going to be as low as where he is right now. And so the buy low and the sell high or the the sell low and the buy high or whatever it is we're getting into right now, they're never going to match up because I'm only willing to give somebody a top 60 guy for Jaron Jackson Jr. And the person that drafted him is going to say, no, I'm not giving him up for anything less than a top 40. I don't think he's getting to top 40. Okay, Mike, well, yeah, you guess he could get around that point. I don't think he's getting any beyond that. I'm setting the mark too, too low. I don't think he's getting into the low 30s, high 20s, where I think people were hoping he'd be when they drafted him in the early 30s. You're hoping the blocks come up a little bit as the minutes might come up a little bit. Rebounds are not going to be that high. Valanchunas rebounds too well, and his minutes are going up. Scoring, uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know that that necessarily changes all that much. So all you're really hoping for now is that the 1.3 blocks become like 1.6, and the field field goal percent comes up. That, that could move him from 106 to, you know, 50-something, 60-something. Maybe he goes a little higher than that. But you're not going to be able to pay. You're not going to get him on the cheap because of the buzz, because of where he was drafted. So that was a very long way of saying, I am a little bit afraid of Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't know that he's going to get near or at to his ADP. He's also not going to be this bad, but he's also probably not going to get traded anywhere because of the name, because of what he is capable of, and because of where he was drafted. Meanwhile, on the Lakers' side, you, I just I can't get through a discussion on this team without getting into the center position. And in this one, JaVale McGee played 29 minutes and Dwight Howard played only 19. But there's more to the story than that. This was a ball game that I watched almost start to finish. And the parts I didn't watch, I listened to on the radio uh, while I was taking the dog to the vet in the wee hours of the night. This was a blowout, number one. So, actually, it would have been Anthony Davis playing center probably down the stretch if it was a closer game. So, that wipes out about the last six minutes of JaVale McGee's line. Dwight Howard also picked up five fouls in 18 and a half minutes. Yes, this game is enough to keep JaVale McGee on your fantasy team a tiny bit longer. I mean, he is real damn close to the chopping block right now. And this bought him another game or two. Because we know his upside is crazy. If he gets to 20 minutes, he can get do enough to be on your fantasy team in the blocks, field goal percent, and a little bit of rebounding department. The problem I see is that even in this ballgame, Dwight Howard was the better center. Even in the limited minutes, he was the better center. He defended better. 
He rebounded better. He moved. He played his position better. And when Howard was on the floor, that was when the Lakers made their pushes in this game. It was not a coincidence. It was when Valanciunas went out, and it was when Dwight Howard came in. The defense for the Lakers changed. The offense for the Grizzlies changed. It was a double whammy, and the Lakers went on runs both times. They were down like 10 in the first quarter. They went on a run. And then they were, then they, you know, it was tied in the third quarter, and they went on a massive run. It was, it was basically predictable. So this frightens me on the JaVale McGee front. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to tell you to drop him after a 29-minute, 10-9 and nine with a block and good percentage evening for him. Uh, but be aware that this was not the norm, and I don't think that he played himself back into a bigger role. He is the starting center, but he's also stuck most games in that 18-minute range, which is just below where he would need to be. And his role is not as simple as it was last year. He's not going to be the role man all the time. Anthony Davis is on the floor for a lot of his minutes. Long arms, those two guys, just handling things near the rim. I don't want to pick up Dwight Howard. I don't like his free throw shooting. He's not on the floor long enough for it to matter. He's not doing anything on offense, which is great for the Lakers, but terrible for his fantasy game. All he's done here by playing better than JaVale McGee is ruin JaVale. I know, it's a weird discussion to have after McGee's best game of the season, but I watched this and then listened to this game. He is not on the upswing, despite this better performance. Danny Green, told you guys, don't watch the day-to-day. He'll be fine. No, he played well in his 19 minutes of this game, but they just they didn't need him for that many. Um, Avery Bradley, he's settling in, as I mentioned a moment ago. There, there really isn't anybody else. Right now, this team is cut down to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And then we'll see about Kyle Kuzma as he works his way back back into the mix. Where do those minutes come from? I assume they're going to be a power forward, so it's probably going to have to be when Anthony Davis is out, right? The 14, 15 minutes Anthony Davis is not on the floor, Kuzma will be on the floor. I don't, and then maybe at the end of the ballgame when AD's at center. So what does that mean? Does that give Kuzma like 24 minutes? I'm sure they want to get him a little higher than that. So then you probably shave into, I don't know, a small forward that's not LeBron James. I'm not really sure how the Lakers find these find the right fit with all the big people they have now. Uh, but we'll worry about that when we get there. You're not starting him in your first game back anyway, right? We talked about this earlier in the podcast. As a Laker fan, I'm excited right now. As a Laker fantasy buff they are really cut down to their prime. And that's your short Tuesday recap, which I guess makes life pretty easy. We segue now to our homework assignment. I, I, it's funny. I don't know why I paused for a minute. This is my favorite part of the show. I love the look ahead. I love getting ready to, see, to plan for what we're going to view that evening. By the way, folks... We were talking about Anthony Davis being a big part of what the Lakers are doing. The great Mike Passador has a feature out at HoopBall right now called The Lakers' Long-Term Plan Conflicts with Anthony Davis's Optimal Usage. I know, that's a little bit of a mouthful. But listen, it digs into the Anthony Davis at center conundrum in L.A. How do they use him at center? How do they keep him healthy if he has to bang with guys like Jonas Valanciunas? How do they keep their superstar healthy while also using his skill set in the best modern way possible, which is at the center position, because no one can guard him there. 
you got to check out the article. It's brilliantly done. Another fantastic piece from Mike. And, by the way, we continue to build out our team coverage at HoopBall. If you're somebody that's looking to break into the industry on a journalistic standpoint, from the journalism side, you're not going to get many chances like this to join a growing platform and one that operates under Aaron Bruski, who, again, remember, covered the Kings as a member of the traditional media for a while. So there is legit clout here as you work your way up, someone that can kind of teach you how it works. Hit us up, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I was giving out the email address, but someone told me it wasn't working yesterday, so I'm going to skip that for now. Bug me, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Let me know if you want to get in there and do some stuff on the team coverage side. It's an undertaking, man. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. You need to be willing to commit to making this happen, but we've got the guys that can get you there. At Dan Bespris on Twitter. Hit me up. Uh, if you don't have social media, get into the HoopBall forums or send an email to support at hoop-ball.com. Support at hoop-ball.com. That's if you don't have social media. Um, eventually, that support email will get to me. It's just slower. Wednesday, the look ahead, the homework, an 11-game card once again. Perhaps, unlike Monday, this 11-game card will actually feature some scoring. Heaven forbid. The Knicks are in Orlando. Magic favored by nine. Can Bobby Portis repeat? We know Alfred Payton is out, by the way. I'm still holding him until we get a better idea if this is a day-to-day or a week-to-week thing. Because as I mentioned on yesterday's show... You just can't find that many starting point guards sitting around in the NBA that have some upside. For Orlando, there is a point guard battle happening between Markel Fultz and DJ Augustine. Another one has really emerged as the victor. We want, we just want to see Jonathan Isaac keep doing stuff. Chicago at Cleveland. I've basically abandoned all ye who enter here on the point guard side for the Bulls. They have three of them, and that's too, too many. That's a huge pain in the butt. Cleveland side, I don't know that we need to necessarily watch this thing live. Um, We're getting a pretty good idea of what they've got going on. Minutes for Darius Garland versus Jordan Clarkson. What's Larry Nance doing? Tristan Thompson starting, that type of stuff. It's all um, fairly straightforward. Minnesota at Philadelphia. We're watching Rob Covington get his sea legs back underneath him. How long do you really have to buy low on him? The answer is probably another week or two, if I had to guess. These things take time. Remember, took Pat Beverly like, almost half a year last season to really look like himself after his offseason stuff. And then for Rocco, you know, he just, he didn't play for months. Philly's pretty straightforward. Matisse Daibou, I keep saying he's not going to get six defensive stats. He's averaging four. That number will come down. It always does. Milwaukee at Boston, uh, running out of Eric Bledsoe by low time. Not much on the Boston side that we're really keeping a close watch on. Indiana at Brooklyn. Uh, Is Jeremy Lamb going to play? If so, what's his role? Can TJ Warren put a couple of good ones in a row? For the Nets, the bench. We continue to wonder what the bench's role is going to be. And then the Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan thing, which right now is kind of putting a thorn into both guys. And DeAndre Jordan, by the way, he was a dump for me after that last one where he started and still only played 23 minutes. Detroit is in Toronto. Still no Blake Griffin, although he will be reevaluated pretty soon. I think it's beginning of next beginning of next week, so only a few days away from that. Christian Wood, still a narrow window here. This will be a tougher opponent than his last one. Toronto will box you out, beat you up a little bit. 
Raptors, uh, Marcus Gasol, really that's about all we're watching, see if he can get himself involved. Portland is in Oklahoma City. Hassan Whiteside got off to that brilliant start, slowed down in the last one. Can he bounce back? Is Steven Adams going to play in this game? Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they've got a, a fairly... I mean, we're at a point now where we have a pretty good idea of what a lot of these teams are doing. Houston, we're keeping an eye on Daniel House. Washington, we got report that Isaiah Thomas is not surprisingly on a minutes restriction. Of course he is. Dude hasn't played competitive basketball in almost a year and then didn't play for almost a year before that. This is the first basketball for a while for him, but he looked good in his first game back. I still believe you got to have him. And even if it takes two or three weeks for this minutes limit to get to a point where he can hit legitimate value, right? Like he played, what, 16 minutes in that last one? 19 minutes? You know, what if this one's 20? And what if the one after that is 21? Let's just say he has one minute a game and he was at 19 minutes in his first one. I mean, we're six games away from being at a reasonable spot, seven or eight games away from being at a good one. So that's not that long to wait. Three weeks? A month, max? I think he'll have a reason to start him even before that. And then what does that do to the rest of the guys in Washington? We know Bradley Beal, very quiet so far this year. No one's talking about him as a buy low, but technically he would be one. I just, I don't think it's, I don't think the people are feeling the disappointment with him the way they are with some other guys because he's playing. It's just weird percentage stuff going on for Beal right now. And then Thomas Bryant. Rui Hachimura, can he do anything besides points and rebounds? Davis Bertans had one good game, but it was on super low usage. Charlotte, I think we've dumped Dwayne Bacon. This really feels like four of the starting five, and then Devontae Graham. Sacramento, can we get the repeat Rashawn Holmes performance? Is Dwayne Dedman going to actually get himself involved? Nemanja Bialitza looks like a good pickup for the next few weeks. Clippers in Utah, Mike Conley, is this the one where he starts to wake up a little bit? Phoenix and Golden State. For the Warriors now, they are officially on our homework list, so go ahead and watch this ballgame. You can also keep an eye on Mikhail Bridges, Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, and Aaron Baines, four names on the Sun side. We're trying to figure out what they're really going to be over the next few weeks with DeAndre Ayton out. And for the Warriors, D'Angelo Russell, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, obviously starters, but in that last ballgame against the Pelicans, they put up some really good numbers thanks to like three other guys actually getting involved. You know, Poole had a good ball game. Lee had a good ball game. Is Can any one of these guys actually come through repeatedly, or is it just going to be a revolving door of weirdos around the main three? Looking up and down the card, your homework assignment is the late one, Phoenix at Golden State. For sure, you need to, we need to be keeping an eye on how that stuff is going. I think Charlotte-Sacramento is worth watching as well, although I realize that's going to be running in conjunction with the Suns-Warriors game, so I get it if you can't watch both. But I do think it's important to see what Sacramento is doing with their front court rotations. I'd like to watch Isaiah Thomas if I knew exactly when he was going to be on the court in that Washington game. Less concerned about the rest of the Wizards, but if you gotta, you gotta. Uh, and those are probably the big three worth watching tomorrow. If you have the stomach, Chicago is a team keeping an eye on, worth keeping an eye on, and the uh, New York Knickerbockers as well. But I'm not going to make those homework because I don't want you guys to barf while you're watching games. So optional, Knicks and Bulls uh, in those first two early games, and then the ones that I really want to watch is Isaiah Thomas in the Washington game, the Kings, uh, the Suns Warriors on both sides of that one. I think there's worth uh, stuff worth checking out. 
From a betting perspective, we always like to go through that. Magic are favored by nine. They've looked out of sorts so far. Uh, if anything, I would look at the other side, but I'm probably leaving this one alone. Chicago, Cleveland, Bulls just continue to lose to bad teams. There's a reason that this is a tight ball game. Philadelphia looks really good so far. Minnesota actually looks really good so far. This will be a pretty good matchup. Fun game. Milwaukee, Boston, that'll be a fun one as well. Uh, Bucks by two on the road. Brooklyn favored by three and a half against an Indiana team that really looks completely out of sorts, but the Nets look a bit out of sorts themselves. Not touching that one. Toronto by eight and a half over Detroit. Portland, a one-point road favorite at Oklahoma City. I think that's going to be a good ball game. Should be a tight one. Houston by eight on the road in Washington. Sacramento by seven against the Hornets at home. That is a that's a game that's screaming weird. Clippers, uh, one and a half point underdogs on the road in Utah. Uh, again, we're waiting to see you know what what the deal is going to be with Kawhi Leonard over the next week or so. Will he take any games off? It seems like they're really just trying to monitor his minutes more than anything. And then Warriors, five point favorites at home to the Phoenix Suns. I don't like many of these. I know I said for uh, yesterday's card, I liked the Mavericks with the Nuggets on a fatigue spot. I don't see any of these teams as being in a particularly large advantage point. And the closest I got, as I went through some of those names we were just listing off, was probably the Cavaliers or the, or the Knicks, but I just, you know, tough to pull the trigger on that at any point during the year, especially when you don't have a really strong reason to do it other than just not trusting the Magic or the Bulls. If you want to bet along with us, should we put out a play, which we didn't on today's podcast, but certainly will, I'll give out leans when I've got them, head on over to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y, when opening up your account. They will match your first deposit up to $1,000. The promo code, once again, is TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. The website is mybookie.ag. Dot A-G, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. The promo code is TODAY. That lets them know that you heard about it here on Fantasy NBA Today. Do what I did. Do what Brewski did. Do what Neil did. Get that account started over at mybookie.ag. And when we really dig into the meat of this thing, and, and Neil and Brew, I know they're betting already, I'm largely uh, restraining myself here the first couple of weeks. I wait until the, the revenge stuff really starts to kick in when you get into the dog days a little bit more. And then we'll start going hot and heavy on all these teams, all these angles. Fatigue stuff is big. Motivational stuff is big. Uh, I'll be doing that probably in a couple of weeks. But there's stuff happening already. We have the layup line, uh, which is in the premium membership. I mentioned that right at the top of the show. That has best bets in it on a day-to-day basis. So if you're looking to be a degenerate here right out of the shoot, we are already ready for you. We've got you covered. <laughs> we are, like you, sick human beings. Aaron is a sick human being. Neil's a sick human being. I am a sick human being. And we've all thankfully found one another. Again, if you are looking to get involved uh, as a journalism fo- uh, journalistic side here at Hoopball, hit me up at Dan Bespris. Um... Shoot me a note at Dan B- D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. There's the spelling on that, or search for Dan from Hoopball on Twitter. Uh, please do rate and review the podcast as well. I-, I hope that you're enjoying what we've got going on these days. We're really trying to mix it up in terms of things that we can cover outside of the actual night-to-night storylines. Uh, but obviously, that's what's happening right now in the NBA. 
Getting into the trades a little, the buy low, the sell high stuff, that was a little bit of a departure, but I hope you guys like that as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do drop that nice review. If you hate what you're hearing, uh, I mean, I obviously say you don't have to continue to listen, but if there's one little thing that you don't like, please, you can let me know. You can shoot me a tweet, an email, whatever. I really don't mind. I take feedback constructively. I've tried really hard to get into things quicker at the outset. You know, we just have the, uh, we got one ad at the top and a quick hoop ball promo now. And usually we're into stuff within the first two, two and a half minutes. There are just days in the off season where we got to cover some other stuff. So I really do take that stuff to heart. I really try to improve this thing on a night to night, week to week basis, whatever it happens to be. And, and I hope that, uh, I hope that shows in the product in some capacity. So, uh, again, thank you to everybody for tuning in. The, ah, man, I I was about ready to wrap it up, but I got I to gotta do the sentimental thing at the end of this random Wednesday at the end of October. This has been an incredible stretch, not only for the show, but, but just for my own psyche. We, uh, we just obliterated every listenership record on Fantasy NBA Today, this run-up to the season. Um, you know, we had our, our most listened-to show by a ton, I don't. I don't even remember the exact number comparison from year over year. I can. I can look it up pretty quickly, but I'm not going to make you guys listen to me do that. I just. Uh, I was blown away. I mean, we had a show. I think it was the Aaron Bruski uh, guard hype show, if I'm not mistaken. That was the one that really, uh, that really moved the needle the most. Was, I think, something like a sixty percent. 70% larger listenership than the biggest show from last year. And it's just, I mean, it, it totally blows me away what we were able to do. And that's you guys. That's you guys listening and spreading the word and leaving those reviews and tweeting about it and telling people. So from the, from the bottom of my heart and from all of us here at Hoopball, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are the best. Let's just keep finding ways to win. Have a wonderful Wednesday, everybody. Back tomorrow, Thursday show. We'll wrap up this big Wednesday card. And get you set for the shorter Thursday. You know how this works now, right? I am Dan Baspris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Have a lovely Wednesday, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.